Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Murder on the Space Coast, where is Brandy Hall? She was a true country girl, tomboy. She could outdo things most guys couldn't do. I mean, welding, fishing, hunting, shooting. She could shoot better than anybody I know. Um, she could weld better than most men I know. She's always been wanting to help people. And, and so you think the accident, you know, maybe even inspired yes. her more to become an EMT paramedic, yes. firefighter? Yes, I believe it did. Yes, it did. She dedicated her life to go and help people. I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and welcome back to Season 3 of Murder on the Space Coast, Where is Brandy Hall? During the first two episodes, we learned that on the evening of August 17, 2006, Brandy Hall, a young mother of two, left the Malabar Volunteer Fire Department just before 11 p.m. and vanished. Brandy has been gone more than 11 years. We also learned that a retired detective from Palm Bay by the name of Sid Liddell, closing in on 80 years of age, spends his days working the case and trying to get his Shetland sheepdogs named Bonnie and Clyde to quiet down. He has interviewed more than 60 people and will not rest until the case is solved or he dies, whichever comes first. Randy Hall was only 32 years old when she disappeared. She grew up in rural Bull Creek in Osceola County. She loved to hunt and fish and ride airboats and ATVs. She was a tomboy who never really fit into the traditional girly role. She was also a good shot and carried a gun. A traumatic childhood accident had a profound effect on Brandy and fueled her dream to one day become a firefighter. She worked hard, first as a volunteer firefighter, to make that dream come true eventually gaining a job as a paid professional firefighter in Palm Bay. It was a dream job, and she excelled at it. The job also led Brandy to meet her future husband, who was already pretty near the pinnacle of his own firefighting career. Jeff and Brandy Hall had two children together, a boy and a girl, and things seemed to be going well. The family moved to Melbourne, but still owned a large piece of land in the Bull Creek area of Osceola County. They had a wide circle of friends whom they'd spend time with, going camping and fishing and riding ATVs. And money sure didn't seem to be an issue. Brandy made sure her kids had the best of everything. And she treated herself, too. Jewelry, especially gold, and her beloved pickup truck. On the surface, everything was perfect. But as is too often the case in these types of tales, the happiness the couple shared would not last. And that cheerfulness may have actually been a facade. Everything came crashing down around the couple in July 2005, one year and one month before Brandy Hall disappeared. 
Oh, it was more than devastating. I mean, we didn't know anything about it. I was on my way home, and I always call my husband and tell him I'm on my way home. And he was watching the news, and he told me, he says, you're not going to believe what just came on the TV when you get home. That was Brandy's mother, Debbie Rogie, talking about the day Jeff Hall, Brandy's husband, was arrested for running a fairly large marijuana growing operation on his Bull Creek property with his friend and business partner, Paul Hirsch. Agents confiscated 18 pounds of marijuana and hundreds of plants in what was described as a million-dollar operation. One agent, Lucas Rewalt, testified in court that it was the largest operation he had seen in almost 10 years. Apparently, the enterprise germinated from only 10 seeds that Hall and Hirsch had ordered from High Times magazine. The operation encompassed a barn and a mobile home on the wooded property. The cultivation systems included lights and ventilation, irrigation systems, all powered by generators to prevent detection of power consumption spikes from the utility. Arresting agents said the evidence seized had a value of $1 million, mainly because it was crippy marijuana that boasted a high content of THC. You know, that's the stuff that gets you high. Now, in order to understand just how shocking this arrest was, you have to remember that Jeff Hall once served as the head of public safety for Osceola County and was even the youngest person ever to hold that position. He met President Bill Clinton, took helicopters with congressmen. He went hunting with former governors. What on earth was he thinking? Oh, I asked him that very question. I don't know what really started all that crap. And uh, me and my me and my buddy was just talking. Um, I had retired, and because the shop is doing good, and I really don't know what brought all that on. Because we was making a good living, it just sort of happened, and one thing led to another, and um, and it got to be kind of exciting, you know, to tell you the truth. And no, no one is wrong, but kind of exciting. We was figuring stuff out. It was stupid. It was very, very stupid, especially for somebody. With my background, you know, it's, that's what really floored a lot of people. I mean, I, I used to shake hands with Bill Clinton, um, Dave Weldon. I've been up in helicopters with him during disasters. Um, Lawton Child, she's hunting with him in Osceola County. You know, I got, I got letters in my office from all these guys, you know. Yeah. And like during a lot of my court proceedings, they, my lawyers gave them, the judge them letters with, you know, Chief Hall scratched out with my name and written, and written in by Bill Clinton, you know. So not saying that I support Bill Clinton in any way. That's uh, <laughs> it's, it's a Clinton. But um, no, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know if it's just the fact that I was missing that excitement in my life from being in the fire department. I don't know. It's stupid. But it was profitable. Jeff and his partner were pulling in about $30,000 every two months from the operation. Add that money to Brandy's salary as a firefighter, Jeff's pension, and the income from the couple's welding and fabrication side business, and they were making more than $100,000 annually, easily. But then it all came to a halt. Hall remembers the day of his arrest vividly, the day everything changed in the Hall household. It is seared into his mind like a bad dream from which he cannot wake. Me and the kids, Brandon was on duty, me and the kids came back from a movie from um, Vera, and pulled in and two dirt bags walked up. They were parked out in front of our house. Walked up and they pulled a little badge up and they said they're with the Osceola gang and drug enforcement unit. And started asking me questions. We got, you know, Paul Hirsch, you know, 
sitting here, you know, we got him arrested on your property, blah, 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 we'd like to take you out there. They drove Hall out to the property and then placed him under arrest. That was the same evening Jeff Hall made the local news seen by Brandy's father. Jeff was booked and sent to Osceola County Jail, where Brandy had to bail him out. He faced felony trafficking and possession charges and up to 30 years in prison. Jeff says Brandy cursed and was furious that he had been arrested and put the family in this situation. Interestingly, though, when Brandy came to bail Jeff out, she had to borrow $1,000 for bail money from her friend Charles Ronnie McClellan, who, it turns out, would regularly loan Brandy money along with another man. It seems that McClellan, according to an interview that he gave Sid Ledow, even made a few payments on a large piece of construction equipment called the skid steer for Brandy when she couldn't come up with the money. He said over the years, Brandy would pay him back by building him an airboat or doing other welding jobs for him. Ronnie McClellan's daughter, Tammy, went to high school with Brandy, and he had known her for a very long time. Here is retired Detective Sid Ledow, who remains hard at work on what will surely be his final case. He says Brandy was very good at spending the money that her husband brought home. What he did make was a blown, you know, he'd just give it to Brandy and she'd buy jewelry and stuff. Um, spending money on, on gold chains and stuff like that, it, she really wasn't looking too much toward the future. And she spent a lot of money on her kids. They had two of everything, you know, had computers and uh, little uh, motorbikes and spending uh, big money on uh, boats and camping trailers and stuff like that. So that begs the question, did Brandy know about the marijuana operation? She seemed to be spending the money Jeff was earning off it. A fellow firefighter, Randall Richmond, whom Brandy was close to, says yes when he was interviewed by police. Of course, I must warn you, we'll talk a lot about Randall later. So what he says may not be the whole story. I only know what she told me about the whole growing organization. Really? You know, I, 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 whatever she told me, you know, which basically she swore, swore up and down to me that she had nothing to do with it, that she was aware of it, she had knowledge of it, but she never did anything. But her husband, Jeff Hall, disputes that. He says Brandy didn't even know about it. I asked him if Brandy knew where the money was coming from. He told me that he had made up a story about renting out some of their property to tenants. No. She was furious. She was furious. And that's that's one of the reasons why we moved out here so that the kids wouldn't be around that stuff. So, but we both wanted to move here anyway because our shop was here in Mel- West Melbourne and it was a pain in the ass driving every day down 192. And so they charged her in, um, at first as well, right? Right, they charged her, but they immediately dropped the charges. I mean, it was just, it was a, a ploy. Well. Jeff's comments were not clear to me, so I asked him again later on just to make sure. And he insisted that Brandy only learned of the marijuana grow operation after he had been arrested. I'm not so sure I believe that. The agents who arrested Jeff Hall concluded Brandy did know. One of the arresting agents, Justin Boudelier, of the Osceola County Sheriff's Office, wrote the following in his report. Quote, Brandy Hall told me that she knew that her husband was manufacturing cannabis, but she just looked the other way. He also wrote this, quote, 
Jeffrey Hall told Sergeant Devlin that his wife had warned him that he would eventually be caught by law enforcement for manufacturing the cannabis. This is also interesting. The agent said he went to the couple's welding shop to speak with Brandy about the marijuana operation, and, well, it appeared as if Brandy was afraid of saying too much for fear of retaliation from, well, someone involved in the drug business, I guess? He wrote, I asked Brandy if I could talk to her about her involvement in the grow operation. She stated, quote, I don't want to talk to you guys. People will do anything to get even. Hmm. That statement is worth a dramatic pause. Obviously, Brandy was worried enough not to cooperate with law enforcement. Could her knowledge of the drug operation have led to her disappearance? We'll explore that further later on. But right now, it's important to know that Brandy's biggest concern was being implicated in the operation and losing her firefighting job, the job she had dreamed about for so long and worked so hard to get. And well, sure enough, it was only a week after Jeff's arrest that Brandy was charged as well with cultivation of marijuana. When she got arrested, that was just so devastating. Every, everybody was crying. I saw Jeff crying when, he, when she got arrested. We were all crying, but, you know, and then she's like, Mom, I can't lose my job. She's like, what am I? It's like, she just, I just felt so bad for her. Meanwhile, Jeff's attorneys, Kepler Funk, Alan Diamond, and Keith Sashaz, believed they had a good shot at having the case thrown out of court because they said law enforcement officers had searched the property illegally. Here is Kepler Funk. And it was kind of uh, new and novel uh, grounds where it was a very gray area of whether the way the, the farm, so to speak, and this kind of farmland out there, whether it created a natural barrier, a kind of natural fencing that would cause law enforcement to what we argue was effectively climb a fence right, to get access to this guy's yard so that they can see what they believe was an illegal operation going on. So, you know, we were arguing it was the way it was, the way it was cultivated, so to speak, created this natural fence in the backyard. And of course, when you put a fence up in your backyard, you then have an expectation of privacy in that yard requiring warrants for law enforcement to get there, right? So if you have, if I have an open marijuana growing in my front yard where there's no fence and a police officer can see it, right, kind of in plain view eliminates him getting a warrant to then proceed for his law enforcement duties, right? Right. So when, when we put a fence up in our backyards or wherever we put fences up, there's an expectation of privacy which would require law enforcement to go the extra necessary constitutional step to get into my yard. Well, that's what we argued, and um, it was denied. Mm. Um, it was denied. And so that was a huge part of the case. What followed was inevitable. Brandy lost her firefighting job in Palm Bay. But it was how she was arrested and humiliated more than anything that still infuriates both Jeff and Brandy's mother. They said law enforcement officers waited for Brandy to get dressed in her firefighter uniform at the station and then pulled her away in front of her co-workers. She lost her job. That was probably the most devastating thing to her, you know, the way they played that out. 
already had the charges. Wait till she got on duty and dragged her off work in front of all her friends. So that was a pretty shitty move. They, like, made a public spectacle out of her, which she didn't do anything to deserve that. And they, they, should, they should have known that. I mean, you're not, you shouldn't be accountable for what somebody else did, even though your name's on the property. I mean... That'd and they a, waited for her to go to work and put on right. her gear. And, and they didn't and, need to do all that. That was that was uncalled for. I mean, I mean right. Uh, they shouldn't have done that to her. They knew what kind of person she was. And bad for you people that did that to her. You know, karma, karma comes around. The charges against Brandy never stuck. And they were dropped shortly after her arrest. Still, the damage was done and she was out of a job. Not just any job either, her dream job. I know I keep saying that, but when you look through her personnel file, it's clear. I mean, Brandy applied for and completed just about any and every training available to her, including propane tank training to venomous reptile training at Gatorland. She loved what she did and wanted to be the best. Here is her husband. First and foremost, my concern was to clear her you know, of any wrongdoing you know, in hopes to get her job back. You know, because I had already retired and, and, and whatnot, so, but I know that was, you know, who she was. I mean, like I told you earlier, she was, she lived and breathed the fire department. I mean, you can see that going through her records. And um, that was what she was born to do, I think, you know, to help people. And um, on and off duty, I mean, because we were always helping people. Her identity and self-confidence in shambles, Brandy also began struggling with another realization there was going to have to be a real change in her spending habits. Her husband Jeff was facing prison time, and she was without full-time employment. And she would also be without the marijuana money, whether you believe she had known where it was coming from or not. Brandy still had some income from her welding side business. According to friends, Brandy talked about suing the city of Palm Bay to get her job back since she had been cleared of any wrongdoing. But she also went to volunteer at the Malabar Fire Department in order to keep current with her training and to make sure that she remained eligible for rehire. How was she received in Malabar? Well, to hear Chief Joe Giantonio describe her, you'd have to say they were pretty much taken with her. Brandy's the kind of a person that comes around once in a lifetime that's truly, genuinely sincere about helping others. If you were going to be anybody in the fire service, you'd want to be like Brandy Holm. Again, I would like to thank our friends over at ID Discovery for that sound clip. Now think about what he said. He called Brandy a once-in-a-lifetime kind of person. Wow. And it appears from interviews done by retired detectives Sid Dow and Doc Jones that the other Malabar firefighters were fond of Brandy as well. They loved her easygoing nature, and just about everyone praised her preparedness and her eagerness to be a great firefighter. She was quick with a joke or a story, and basically she was someone to be counted on. Brandy would not let you down. Okay, so, meanwhile, when the attempt by Jeff's attorneys to have the drug case thrown out because of what they called an illegal search was denied, they chose to take a plea deal with the state in order to minimize Jeff's possible prison sentence. That motion is suppressed because had we won, the government would have dropped their case in total, and I can tell you um, that we, we ended up entering a plea, reserving our right to appeal. 
this issue, this illegal search issue, because we felt pretty strongly about our likelihood of success on appeal. Mm. But we still had to go through the sentencing process, of course, and Jeff had a lot of mitigation. What Funk means by mitigation is that Jeff had a lot going for him that could sway the judge to impose a sentence that's on the low end of the sentencing guidelines. He had no criminal record, was a public servant, and, well, I'll just let Funk explain it. He was a great dad, a great worker, and great everything. This was kind of a real aberration in his life. And Brandy um, was a loving wife, and they were a great couple, and a mom, and all the wonderful things. And we had spoken to her, prepping her for what she was going to say um, at sentencing to our guys, to her husband's behalf. So that brings us basically to August 2006 and Brandy's last few days before vanishing. As I've stated, her husband Jeff had pleaded guilty to the marijuana charges and was set for sentencing on Friday morning, August 18th. There was a good chance that after he was sentenced, he would be released on bail once his lawyers submitted their appeal. It certainly had been a tough year. Brandy had lost her job, but was hoping to win it back and was putting in hours at the Malabar Fire Station as a volunteer. Still, money was tight, and she hustled to find welding jobs or construction jobs where she would operate heavy machinery. She even made money spraying manhole covers. All of this was due to change once Jeff was locked up. Who would help out with the kids? It's no secret she was under a lot of stress. I mean, anyone would be, right? Here is her friend, Cher Ryder, again, courtesy of ID Discovery. The last time that I saw Brandy, she seemed okay to me, but she seemed like she was a little stressed out. The most thing that was weighing on Brandy's mind was her bills. You know, that she just felt like she was kind of getting buried. It was like she felt like she was working and working and never getting ahead. We didn't talk about Jeff's sentencing hearing a lot because the kids were around that day. But she did mention that, you know, she was nervous about the outcome and what was going to happen. Everyone knew Brandy was nervous and stressed. Her family and friends tried to keep close tabs on her, but she was also pretty angry, angry at Jeff. According to several of the interviews that Sid Dow and Doc Jones conducted, Brandy confided in many friends. They said Brandy blamed Jeff for everything that had gone wrong in their lives. And some even said she was planning on divorcing him once he went to prison. Brandy's mother remembers speaking with her daughter that night, the night before Jeff's sentencing, Brandy's last night. That was the last time she heard her daughter's voice. I hated asking her about it because she became very emotional. I apologized, but she understood. Like I said, I talked to her every day or saw her every day and talked to her the night before. And she... You know, she's always, you know, she was at work at the time, but she always called, if she was working that day, she always would call, call me and call the kids and say their prayers and told her I'd see her in the morning. She asked me if we were going to be at the courthouse, and I said yes, and that's the last time I talked to her. Yeah, did she seem like there was anything wrong, or did she seem like her, her own self? I mean, she was obviously worried about what was going to happen, yeah. but... She was trying to... She was okay. I think she was trying not to let me know anything was wrong. She just didn't want, like she, when all this happened, she always 
made, she was trying to make sure the kids had a normal life so it wouldn't disrupt them. So maybe that's what she was doing with me too, trying to tell, make me think everything was okay. Brandy also called home that night, August 17th, 2006, from the fire station and spoke to Jeff and the kids. Her daughter was 10 and her son was 5 years old. It was a routine she went through every night she spent at the station away from home. I spoke to that night. Um, she had called when um, to say the prayers with the kids, and I forget what show was on. It was like the finale of Big Brother or, or some, you know, one of the shows that was on back then. I yeah. forget. And um, they said the prayers, and I said, I'll talk to you later. And she says, love you. And she goes, love you. And um, the kids were laying in bed with me, you know, watching TV. They also talked about the sentencing hearing, naturally. Jeff was not sure the judge would allow Brandy to testify on his behalf because she was his wife and had been initially charged as well. But his lawyers were counting on it. She was a big part of our mitigation presentation to the court on why Jeff shouldn't go to prison. Mm. Okay, she was, she was our, quote, number one, aside from Jeff himself, our number one witness that we were excited to present because she's bright, smart, intelligent, can testify, we thought, very truthfully, believably, about all the great attributes Jeff had to offer and why he shouldn't be incarcerated. So Jeff hangs up the phone, and like most of Brevard County, he goes to bed and starts to wind down. Brandy is not among those who goes to bed. No. And in fact, what happened over the next few hours still haunts many people. It would even haunt two retired detectives, Sid Liddow and Doc Jones, after they became part of the investigation. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, where is Brandy Hall? The driver was a lady, had long blonde hair, and there was another person in the front seat with her. She drove around to the back, was going to call in the tag. She had never confronted your wife? Or she had never, she, she had, and she had never said to me, you know, either I get money or I'm going to tell. She didn't? No, 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 no. If you have any information as to Brandy Hall's whereabouts, please call 1-800-423-TIPS. That's 1-800-423-8477. Calls are anonymous and are not recorded. To subscribe to Florida Today, please visit floridatoday.com forward slash WMO. For now, I'm news columnist John H. Juarez, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to whereisbrandyhall.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thank you for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today a part of the USA Today Network.